welcome back to the Act Two Podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. <laughs> and let's just get into it, Josh. How about that? We have a lot to talk about today. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. We do have a lot I've to talk excited. about. I've been excited like all weekend for the This Week in Writing we're about to do. Yeah, it's it's a this week in movies, just everything. It, it all, it's yeah. all tied together, and I'm excited to. Uh, you, Dave, and I were texting, and I had never been so fired up about a conversation or a topic <laughs> in my entire life. I could and it have... had nothing to do with the margaritas you had. Oh, yeah, no, that I was still. I knew I was still fired up when the next morning I was still fired up about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I had some amazing margaritas. All right. <laughs> Are we just jumping into this? Yes. Okay. We're talking about movies. <laughs> Going to movie theaters. Yes. And our varying opinions on that action. Yeah. I don't know how this... I actually don't remember how this all started. So I actually saw Glass Onion this week, past weekend. Mm-hmm. Loved it. And before that... Oh, this started because I think I was going to see Strange World. I yes, also saw you were that in the theater. I was saying, in the theater. I love movie theaters. I think I was saying I love movie theaters, but I also have some beef with movie theaters. And and then this fired off this 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 chain of events between you, Dave, and I. And we have to talk about movie theaters because I feel like it's such an important important part of what we do. And I still feel yeah. like a lot of people write movies to see them in a movie theater, even though everything has gone to streaming. Yeah. And I think we just need to talk about the state of a movie theater. I think so too. And it's funny because I think his last episode or the episode just before that, you asked me, when was the last time I saw a movie in a theater? And it hadn't been for a while, like Uh months. And then just this last weekend, I saw two movies. I saw Black Panther and I saw Knives Out, Glass Onion. Mm -hmm. And I have thoughts. Yeah. And I was like having a crisis over the weekend in texts to you and Dave, friend of the podcast. Yeah. So... All right, Tasha, let's lay it out. Movie theaters. Are you still into movie theaters? I had a really roller coaster ride of emotions this weekend with movie theaters. Saw Black Panther on Saturday. Amazing experience. Went to the Cheesecake Factory beforehand. Went yeah. right up the escalator, right to the movie theater. It was this, We had friends with us. It was so lovely and fun. And the theater was pretty empty. Wait, and did you just highlight an escalator ride? Yeah, because it was just right by the restaurant. Like, that's the beauty of seeing it. Like, you go to a restaurant and the movie theater's right there, you know, because it's part of, like, a, a complex. And that's, that's part of the fun of it is it's like, it's like, it's like a little, like, theme park oh of moviness. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Be quiet. And there was an elevator. <laughs> and the elevator ride was amazing. It smelled so good. Um <laughs> But then, yeah, there, were, there weren't that many people in the theater, and the movie theater was, it was huge. It was, the, the sound was great, although they messed up the sound a little bit, I have mm. to say, which was a little annoying. Which, by the way, also, can I just say, both, both movies I saw this weekend were late. What? I have never been to a movie that was late. What? Yeah, <laughs> it's like trains in Germany. Movies are never late. But this, both times, they were like five to ten minutes late starting. That doesn't even make sense to me. No, it's horrifying. So, okay. 
Okay, so your your experience sounds good so far. Black Panther Saturday, brilliant. Okay. Knives Out Sunday, different story. Same theater? Same theater, Whoa. same elevator, different <laughs> restaurants. <laughs> all right, all right. So, so yeah, yeah, we go to this theater and it's packed. And during the, you know, the the newbies sort of intro thing that they do, or it's not trailers, it's just sort of their mini trailers, like the lights are still on, like that that time mm-hmm. in the in the movie watching process, as people are finding their seats, there were some teenagers who Michael B. Jordan went up in a commercial and they were like, Michael B. Jordan, and they like screamed his name and then they laughed and they thought it was hilarious and they're eating popcorn. Oh, and I was like, oh God, this is gonna be a thing. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna feel like they can commentate through the oh, whole entire yeah. movie like they do at home. Yeah. And then the guy next to me, this older gentleman, is doing this Oh god with his, with his gum. Which with also his gum? just in an everyday situation, do not chew gum that way, especially at the movies when you're sitting next to someone so closely. So I told Paul, we have to leave. Leave. <laughs> Oh my God. We have to leave our seats. We have to like do something. I was like, I regret being here. I think I texted you that. I was like, I regret everything. Why yeah. am I here? I just wish I was seeing Knives Out at home. This is terrible. Yeah. And then I saw this whole section in the front of the movie theater that was open. Mm. I was like, let's go sit there. And Paul, because he's is a very big rule follower, he was like, we can't sit there because they're assigned seats. I'm and I was like, well, there's no one sitting there. Look. And he's like, well, look on the app. So we had to look on the app. And we had to load the app. And then we yeah. had to see, okay, there's no one sitting there. There's only two people, and they're not where we're going to be. So we go, and we sit there. And he's really anxious. He's looking around because not everyone's in the theater yet. Yeah. And then freaking people were like, oh, we're good, right? Like, the movie's starting 10 minutes late. And we're like, we're, we're fine. No, people are coming in still at, like, 10 minutes late past the movie. And they're sitting right where we're sitting. Like, why? Why are they sitting here? So now we wow. have to move. We had to move twice. But we still found a spot, front three rows. Front three. Watch the movie. Oof. Yeah, I know it's rough. Yeah. Poor Paul, who's tall, like his neck hurt. But watching it, everyone was fine. Everyone behaved, except for a few drunk women who were laughing a little too many things. But mm. besides that, we left being like, "Oh man, we are so hyped for the movie going experience. We need to see everything in movie theaters. This movie was amazing." And so that was the roller coaster. <sighs> okay. Okay. I'm going to go into my roller coaster. Yeah. I feel for Paul, by the way. I'm the same way where you're like, I don't, I can't move seats. I have to look on the app. I know people are going to sit there. I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to want this seat. I don't want to move again. All right. Yeah. So I actually, yeah, I saw the two movies and actually Strange World was not the great experience. Knives Out Mm. was my good experience, but Strange World, I went in, I went to the AMC theater in beautiful Century City at the mall. It's like my favorite mall. We go there. First of all, number one. The food, very expensive, just yeah. fine. I, so I, but I start like clocking these things. I took my daughter, it, very expensive food. They put the fucking calories on the food. Like it was Ugh. like, congratulations, here's your tub of popcorn. It's 900 calories. Don't care. Don't want to know about it. <laughs> That's like the last thing in the world that, that, that I want to know about. So I'm get- getting butter popcorn. I don't care about the calories at this point. That's exactly right. I'm just there for the movie experience. The trailers are too freaking long. There's too many mm-hmm. trailers. Someone needs to come inside and regulate people on their cell phones. Yeah. And, Big time. And, and someone needs to regulate people talking. My point is, is that 
movie theaters, and I think we were talking about this, are like killing themselves from the inside. I think so. There is no reason I should go to a movie with my daughter and we like leave spending like $75 on tickets and food or 65 or whatever it was. Granted, I got a lot of stuff. I was with my daughter. It was an outing. Still, I feel like that's that's like a normal experience, $75. Yeah, that, it seems like it. And it just takes so long like to get like you're like parking. Okay, but this might be an LA problem. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. You're like, you know, you find a parking spot. This is it. Okay, so That's why I talked about the escalator, by the way. (laughs) The convenience. I take it all back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it just, it's so frustrating going to these movies where you see people like on phones. And I think I said this the other week. Someone was on a Nintendo Switch in a movie that I went and saw. Yeah. Enola Holmes Part 2 that I saw like weeks ago. And I couldn't believe it. And we used to have a theater here in LA called the Arclight, Mm -hmm. which is no more. R.I.P. Someone used to come inside that theater and they would make sure everybody was not on their phones and they were just enjoying the movie. They would have someone come up and say, hey, this is the movie you're about to see and stay off your fucking phones. Mm -hmm. And then they would leave and they would sit and just hang out in the aisle waiting for someone to use a phone or to talk. Totally. And then they would say something. It was amazing. So I agree with you. And we also talked about how there are people with children like yourselves. And I know you go and see movies with Amelia now, but there are people with younger children, or maybe you want to go see a rated R movie and you just want to go with your wife. Yeah. And now you have to hire a sitter and now you have to buy tickets and then you have to buy food and you're probably going out at night in the small window where you can get a sitter for the night and you're probably also getting dinner because, oh, thank God you're away from the kids. And now it's like a $200 evening just to go see Strange World with a kid playing a Nintendo Switch. Yeah. And... That's what you're probably not seeing Strange World, but <laughs> I, I was gonna say, in fairness, the kid movies tend to be a little bit more obnoxious because sure. there are kids in the movies. That wasn't really happening for me in Knives Out, like in, or yeah. in Glass Onion. Glass Onion, we were good, but just looping this all full circle for mm-hmm. our industry, and we're writing and we're trying to make movies or write movies for movie theaters. Yeah. God willing, it, it's like. Why do people even want to go to a movie theater anymore? Like, yeah, you can just spend a lot of money to stay home. I understand the experience of getting out, but if you have the setup at your house and it's not an inconvenience, why, why would you even want to do that? Yeah, that's all. I see. I get both sides. Yeah, they well, they just they have to make the movie going experience different, more elite. People can't be playing Switch and talking like they do at home, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and Things need to be more affordable. That's all. That's yeah. all we ask for, movie theaters. I'm still going to spend the money. It's I don't I but it just bugs me in the moment. It pisses me off. If they were cheaper, more people would go. Because watching, you know, watching a movie at a movie theater is never going to be the same as watching yeah. it at home. It just is not. It's it's way better, but Yeah. But and then on the flip side, there's nothing like that movie-going experience where you collectively share a moment with yeah. people that, uh, you know, I know Dave met, mentioned the movie Barbarian, which I didn't see in a theater, but I wish I saw in a theater. Glass Onion was an awesome experience in a theater because people it were kind of laughing and, and enjoying the stuff. Anyway, that's the rant. Yep. Those are some movie of my theaters. thoughts. Theaters are fucking killing themselves. And that that's that's it. New dream, new goal, act two movie theater. Yeah. 
I'm going to walk up and down the aisles. I'm going to be like, you've got one text message, and then you put that fucking phone away. Silence your phone. You have kids? Fine. Go out into that hallway and take care of this. There should be an area where people can go on their phones, like a dark area where nobody else who's viewing the movie can see these people. But, like, you know how in churches, in churches mm. they have, like, the back area where people can take their kids? Mm-hmm. That's what... Not really, be. but yes. Yeah. That's oh, like, ha- if you want to be on your phone, here's a section yeah. where and people nobody- who like to be on their phones can be. Yeah. You're off to the side. You're in, oh, like, an enclosed room with no circulation. You're definitely in the back. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. That's not a terrible idea. You know what? This is not the end of this. We're going to crack movie theaters. (laughs) That's it. That could solve everything. There should be a cell phone area in movie theaters. If you're going to be on your phone, this is where you're going to be. My question, though, is do people realize they're on their phone? Or are they so addicted to their phone they don't even realize it's out in this moment? They're like, oh, I'm not a a phone person. I'm getting a regular seat. Mm. Oh, phone. Yeah. I'm not going to a movie theater where I have to sit in a section. Of them with people on their phones. This is America. This is America. I can do whatever I want. Not in the Act Two right. movie theater. All right. Anyway. Not in the Act Two. Okay. Today we are talking about <laughs> dialogue, which is a massive topic that cannot be contained by one episode. Mm-mm. But I thought we would narrow it down just a little bit. Mm. Where what started this idea was reading something about someone who does what we have advocated on the podcast before, which is go to a cafe, go to a restaurant, and eavesdrop on conversations in order to hone your dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so I thought we would talk about that process and like what you learn from it specifically. When you hear real people speak real dialogue, what do you learn? And I know I started doing this because I felt myself struggling with dialogue. I Like I couldn't hear the characters in my head and specifically I couldn't hear how they were different. And every character you write should feel different. Like Josh's dialogue in your script should not feel like it could go in my mouth and vice versa Mm -hmm. because it just doesn't work. So I needed to learn how to make my characters sound distinct and also sound real on the page. So I went and did this exercise and it was extremely life-changing. Literally just next time you just go to a restaurant with family, just listen for a second at the people behind you and you'll hear some interesting clues on how to write dialogue. So can I just like get into some of these? Uh, damn straight. (laughs) Okay. Uh, The first thing that you learn when you do this is that most people have a tick. Like the other night we went to a Thai place and there were two friends sitting behind us. And one of them talked in a very severe Valley accent to the point like he sounded like he had this really lazy drawl and it caused everything he said, even like the most exciting thing he could say, felt like it was boring him to death. (laughs) And I will say that it's tough to kind of replicate intonation in dialogue. But in this case, I might say in my action description when I introduce this character, like, Jim has a lazy valley drawl where even the most exciting story sounds like it bores him to tears. And then in dialogue, I might use something like, I'm not going to do a valley accent, like, oh my God, where (laughs) the D is like dragged out. Like I do multiple Ds to emphasize the drawl. So like, People have ticks. Yeah. 
Do I have a tick? Do I have a verbal tick? I don't think so. Not that I'm aware of. Can I tell you something? Hmm. Can I tell the podcast something? Huh. Just the other day. Like I hate to talk about bring up kids again one too many times already in this podcast. But um, I was at a table and someone was talking to me. And I would say, I kept going, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I was like, yeah, you to, do do that. And, and this kid stopped the fucking conversation. He was like an eight-year-old and was like, why do you say yeah, 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 yeah so often? Wow. And everyone looked at me and <laughs> my first instinct was to flip the table towards the kid. <laughs> <laughs> my second instinct was just to say, I don't know, man. I wish I didn't do it, but it's how I speak. <laughs> and that was it. And then it was so weird. It was awkward. But anyway. That's I, funny. But it's my, yes. It's, but yes, having a tick. It's my way to follow yeah. along in a conversation. And it like keeps me engaged, unfortunately. But I don't, can you write that in, in, a, in a script? Yeah. I feel like you saying, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> Um. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think I say that's interesting a lot. Oh, you do say that's interesting. Yeah. Yes, that that's interesting. I always just assume you saying that is not. A, it's neither good or bad. It's your way of processing something that you haven't quite made up your mind yet. If yes, you that's exactly what it is. Or it's, it's either that. It's mostly that. Or if I disagree with you oh, and I totally. don't want to say so, I'll also say that's interesting. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. When I hear you say that, I'm like, she hates it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so this is actually interesting. <laughs> Shit. That, that's an interesting <laughs> point because I always think about this where you don't want to tip, you don't want to cross too much into like directing an actor on a page. Yeah. If that makes, you know, like for instance, if, yeah, okay, you could have a character that always says, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. but then in the exposition, would you, Tasha? Would you, if you're writing that character out, would you put down? Would you call attention to the person who says that's interesting? Meaning, you know, Tasha trying to make up her mind whether or not you know how she feels about a certain situation, commonly uses that's interesting. Like, how would you even write that in a script? I think I would just write it. That's I would just write it and write it a few times. But I also wouldn't overuse it. Like you could, you'll be able to tell that it's that person's shtick. Yeah. But I wouldn't overuse it. Because the weird thing about writing dialogue that is different than listening to real people speak is that if you actually write what real people say, it feels written. It feels fake on the page. It feels fake when people say it because it's so kind of over the top accentuated. So if, if my character said... Oh, that's interesting. As much as I say, oh, that's interesting, it'll feel forced. Yeah. But if the, my character says occasionally, oh, that's interesting, then it totally works. And that's just like an interesting tick that they have. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, verbal ticks, I think, can set your characters apart. Like, another one is my agent always says, again... Mm. before and in between sentences, even yeah. when it doesn't apply. Like, it almost sounds like she's reminding you of something, yeah. even when it's a totally new idea. So she'll be like, 
Again, Josh, we wanna make sure our topic for today is valuable for people. And you know a topic like dialogue, again, it matters to writers. Mm-hmm. Like that's just mm-hmm. a weird, t- like that doesn't make any sense yeah. <laughs> why you're saying it that way. But what happens is the effect is that it slows her down and she always sounds like she's explaining something very important to you. And that is her verbal tick. So another thing verbal ticks can do is it can really paint someone's personality. This person is, there's almost like a teacher quality to the way she always speaks to you. Mm-hmm. And if that's your character, maybe find this kind of tick that can help accentuate that idea that this person is a teacher. Yeah. I love that. I have a friend who I've actually copied some of his ticks in a script. He will always call somebody by their name uh, to a point where it, he, it just, it's, it's at first you're like, okay, but he'll always say, you know, Josh, uh, something that, you know, the Packers did this and Josh, I'm just, you know, when Aaron Rodgers did this and like, he always will call me yeah. by my name over and over. And I know somebody else who always calls me buddy or calls other people buddy. And it's yeah. things like that. I feel like, um, those kind of ticks can really, you know, really create the, uh, yeah, the exact type of person. Yeah. Form of personality everything. for that person. Yeah. Totally. And to answer your question about like, do I put things in action description? I don't specifically put ticks in action description. If it's something that is verbal, I'm just going to verbalize it in the, in the writing. But as my example before about the person with the Valley accent where everything sounded like it bored him to tears, that's difficult to put in the dialogue so that the actor understands that that's what the character is. So instead I'll give the, the actor slash director a clue in the action description that like, Hey, all these lines that you're going to read for the whole script, this is the overall tenor of what that's going to sound like. Mm-hmm. I love it. Best example I can think of is in Goodfellas when there's a narration, it's a voiceover of Ray Liotta. They're walking through a restaurant and he's starting to introduce all the characters. He's saying all of their ticks. And then at the end, he gets to this one guy. He's like, we call him like Johnny two times because he always says, and then it, it cuts to the character. He's like, I'm going to go get the paper, get the paper. And then he walks off. It's such a perfect, <laughs> it's such a perfect tick. All right. That's sorry. Great. Go. That's great. No. Um, the next thing that I think you learn when you listen to real people talk real dialogue is the way they deliver sentences is different than anyone else at the table, right? So like sit and sit and listen to two people who are talking and you'll see that like the inflections of each of those people are going to be different. Meaning the words they choose to emphasize is different than the person across from them. The pace of how they talk is going to be different. My mom talks really fast. My dad talks really slow mm-hmm. and really deliberate. I think Josh, you talk fast. And I think I talk kind of slow. Like I have pauses in my sentences and I think I think very slowly (laughs) so (laughs) I think before I speak (laughs) (laughs) so pace I think is a big one and um and I'm thinking about like like characters that I'm writing currently I'm writing an ensemble piece where everyone has a very different way of speaking and a big thing people are struggling with, because um, it's a it's a TV show, is nailing out all the different voices because they're so they're so vastly different. Mm-hmm. And I think you can find tricks where, like, say for the person who thinks slowly, like me, <laughs> they might use 
fuller sentences, mm -hmm. like more complete sentences. They might use less contractions, meaning instead of you're going to the doctor, they might say you are going to the doctor just to kind of slow them down. You might use something like we said with my agent, the again, to kind mm -hmm. of slow them down a little bit. And then for someone who speaks quicker, I tend to use like dashes and stuff in there and they're like to indicate that their their mind is almost moving too fast for their speech where yeah. oftentimes they'll um sort of say something and then quickly take a right turn and kind of say something else that adds to what like like kind of like what i'm doing now where yeah. you just sort of you're kind of all over the place in order to complete your sentence um sort of indicates a, a certain pace so i think you, you can find these sort of tricks when you listen to how people talk, because again, if Josh and I were sitting across the table, I bet you would hear how he talks fast. Not just that he talks fast, but how does he talk fast? And how does Tasha talk slow? <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And uh, yeah, what you were saying about the execution with the dashes, I actually think that's really important. It can really separate mm -hmm. the way people speak. And it's something that I've picked up from other scripts with in dialogue, in exposition, um, but definitely in dialogue, you can do like dot, 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 then start speaking. And these mm -hmm. things where it just creates this flow with dashes or uh, cutting yourself off, cutting characters off. And, and it, it, it does create a really specific pace um, yeah. that I think can go a long way. If you like, if you're trying to cut pages, for instance, and you're like, this, this, this sounds too, too rambly. You can you can you can kind of morph it. I think in like the dialogue section by just adjusting the uh, the way it's written. Yeah, I had a very frustrating note, which is stuff that you have to do as you're sort of getting your scripts ready for production is trimming stuff, right? And mm. typically, where you're trimming is dialogue, just to get through scenes quicker. And I had this sequence that the dialogue realism was there, like. The progression of how these two characters talk to each other was extremely realistic. <laughs> like they, they asked a question like, hey, how did you do that thing? I'm not telling you. You need to tell me how you did that thing. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to show you how I did it. And that was kind of the progression of that scene. Mm. And my manager comes back and she's like, well, you're looking to trim, right? How about trim this exchange? So she just asks him how, she, how he did the thing and, she and he tells her. And I'm like, no, that's not like you need that back and forth. She's like, I don't think you do. <laughs> so, wow. so we went, so I, I went back and I was like, well, this really sucks. Cause this feels like how the conversation would go because the person is trying to dodge the question. And so she's repeating the question again. Tell me how you did this thing. I'm not going to do that. Tell me how you did this thing. Okay. I can't tell you, but I'm going to show you that feels real, but I cut it down and guess what? It's fine. Hmm. Like if you have set up the character well enough, I think the actor will play it reticent the way that they're supposed to, and it'll be fine. But I think the point of why I'm telling this story is that sometimes realistic dialogue doesn't actually work on the page, that you have to like kind of trim it back a little bit in order for it to play well. Mm -hmm. But these kinds of tips and tricks that we're talking about are all gonna help you make like the best choices and make the characters sound like their best selves so that when you have to trim like that, you're not compromising that character. I still understand who that character is and they're still speaking in their voice. That was a really long-winded way of getting to a point that I don't think I needed to make. <laughs> no, I would have totally trimmed that down in script. <laughs> I know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that was great. That, that, was, that was a perfect point. Okay, 
people's personalities and their issues can come out in their dialogue. And one of the more sort of the easiest versions of this is someone who's timid in the way that they are and then in the way that they speak. And the timidity probably doesn't just come out in volume, which is uh, something that's more difficult to write, um, but pay attention to how a timid person speaks, like the words and the sentence structure that they choose to use. I feel like when I write timid people, that person tends to stutter a lot more. So that's when I use the dashes or I use ellipses when I write their dialogue that shows they're pausing or they're uncertain. Um, a timid person might often change course like midway through their sentence in order to maybe like soften the blow of something or they're so unsure of themselves they can't really finish their sentence properly. And an example would be like if you're breaking up with someone and you're a timid person in dialogue, you might say like, Josh, you're an amazing person. Uh-huh, and this uh-huh. is my fault, like, but I wondered if maybe there was a way, like, maybe, like, you're so great, but, like, maybe we can just, I don't know, like, be friends? <laughs> like, the, the regular sentence of that would be, Josh, you're an amazing person, could we just be friends? Yeah. But that's not how that timid person gets that across. They're uncertain of how they're going about it. There's a lot of clauses in there, like, Josh, you're an amazing person, goes to, this is my fault, Uh, that doesn't really technically make sense, but that's Mm -hmm. how that person is thinking. And I think the interesting thing about that is even though that sentence was completely broken up in various ways and was not a complete sentence, there's not a single person who listened to that and didn't understand what that sentence was. And I think that to me was like the most important thing that I learned in listening to real people speaking real dialogue was that most people do not speak in complete sentences all of the time. And yet you still understand them. So that was huge for me because that means that I can break up character dialogue. I can make them have clauses. I can make them not finish sentences and everything still makes sense. I think this is really important because I do think a lot of times people, especially when you're just starting, you tend to write incomplete sentences and you feel that that's very necessary to do with characters and you just don't need to do that at all uh, for realistic purposes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the post we saw that started us on, hey, we should do a dialogue episode was the example was, are we going to get a donut? And then the real, the real life version is you want a donut. And I think that's, that's right. It's like, instead of where are you going? Your character says, where are you going? Instead of, hey, can you grab me a beer from the refrigerator? It's like, yo, beer. Yeah. Yo, beer. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or like, instead of saying, I'm so hungry, can we please go to the restaurant now? It's like, oh, I'm dying. I need sustenance. Mm-hmm. Like, what is your character saying that's not hitting the nail on the head that fits with their character? Yeah. Which brings me to another point where overdirecting your actors. Like, mm. I don't feel like either of, I feel like I have this problem more than you have this problem where, okay. So there are great writers like Aaron Sorkin, for example, who, if you ever read any of his scripts, there's like no action lines for his characters. I think he comes from a background of playwriting, which is very light on stage direction. And I think it really works for him because you really hear his characters so well in your head and the scene moves at such a clip that you kind of can imagine what they're doing in the scene anyway. Yeah. But if he needs someone to go pick up an Apple watch, in a scene, he will do that if it's key to the moment in some way. But for the most part, it's just dialogue on a page. But 
So that version of like, I'm dying, I need sustenance for someone who is hungry. My, what I might write is the character throws their head dramatically over the couch and yeah. yells out, I'm dying, I need sustenance. And do I need that? Maybe, maybe I do. Maybe I need it to explain like the, the tone of the scene and who, how this character is behaving. Like they're being a huge brat right now. And you need to understand that when they say I'm dying, I need sustenance, that they're being really bratty. So I might actually add that action description. Um, but for the most part, and I'd be curious, Josh, what your philosophy is, but I feel like don't overuse these kinds of descriptors. Let your dialogue do the trick and something to also like do a pass on. Like is, if your dialogue is not doing the trick, meaning it's not indicating what that character might be thinking or feeling or doing in a particular scene, then maybe futz with the dialogue a bit, kind of bring the character out more in that sequence. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I actually do tend to add descriptions probably more than I should. Oh, he flings himself into the wall, dramatic, you know, dramatically expresses, whatever. But then I, I, I will go back and I will take a lot of that out. I feel mm -hmm. like in the initial yeah. writing process, it's very helpful for me just to kind of do the scene that way. But then you can kind of pull back. Yeah. And do exactly what you just said. You do another pass to make sure the dial, you can take out this description and the dialogue will still mean the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes you obviously need it. If someone's like throwing something at you and you need to duck, yeah. why'd you throw that at me or whatever? Yeah. I think that's great. Like in the, in the I'm dying, I need sustenance example, or the person is dramatically hanging over the couch. I don't need that descriptor if I've already set up that this character is kind of a brat mm -hmm. and they are always impatient. So that when I get to this scene... The, the actor and the director know this character is a brat. So they may, they may do the bends their head over the couch and screams this thing, or they may do something else that's different, stomps their feet, whatever. They may come up with something that's something better than what I can put on the page. But they're mm -hmm. going to understand that this character is being a brat in this moment because I've already set up that this character is a brat. So that, that cause and effect is really important in your dialogue as well and can help guide you on whether you need action description for something or not. That's a really great policy is to like do the action description for yourself first go back and thin that stuff out and just make the dialogue better or make the scene stronger so that you don't need those kinds of things yeah and also i think what's helpful is at least i i, I think i think i tend to do this a little bit um so it's helpful for me but i'm a little bit more heavy on the action description with characters early on like in a first mm -hmm. act and then it slowly once you kind of have a understanding of who the characters are it just starts to drift away because ideally you don't need as much description because by act two b or whatever you're like oh i know exactly who tasha is like yeah she she's she's gonna you know dramatically drape herself over a couch because she's yeah. upset about something or whatever it is so like i that's the hope i think is you, you kind of you're a little more heavy up front descriptions to go with the dialogue. And then by the time you get into act two, it's, it's a little more dialogue heavy. Yeah. I think that's super smart. I think the reason why I, if I were to self-analyze over describe an action description is because I tend to have pe characters say things that they don't mean or that mm. like a character sounds really peppy and happy in the scene, but really they're really upset with Josh but they're not going to tell Josh that. 
And so I need a character, I need action descriptions to help guide the reader and help guide the actor and director that, yeah, this character is saying like, man, I'm so excited to go to the movie theaters with you, Josh, but really this person is a germaphobe who hates going to movie theaters. So how yeah. do I get that across? And it's always going to be in looks or something versus dialogue. That makes all the sense in the world. Okay. So I'm not a terrible writer. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not really. Um, yeah, it's so tricky. Yeah, there is a lot of nuance. And you do write, now you're saying this, you do write very great characters like that where there, there's two different things going on at, at one yeah. time. And you need it. it like, then you, you have to have it at that point. Yeah. Interesting. This is why dialogue is so interesting because I feel like everyone writes it differently and, and needs different advice for just their style and the characters they're writing. Yeah, dialogue's so crazy because, yeah. you know... There's certain things you need to convey in dialogue. Like there has to be, uh, I mean, this is like the, the bad example, but someone has to know your name is Tasha at some point yeah. in the script. Right? I hate this part. Yeah, yeah. You have to have someone organically say the other character's yeah. name, even though they would never say that in real yeah. life. Well, well, Tasha, I don't know about that. And you're like, my, why would my mom say that to me when she, kn I'm like, <laughs> you know, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So there, there's just dialogue so freaking tricky. It really is. Yeah. But when it starts flowing and I think there's like overlap and, and, and it's, things feel very conversational, that's, that's, that's the dream. It's a dream. It feels so great. I love dialogue. It's my favorite thing to do, which I think is the case for most writers. We love yeah. hearing ourselves talk through other yeah. people. <laughs> I, mean, and it, I mean, this kind of goes without saying, but I think a key point of this is you have to know your characters. Like, Sometimes you figure it out through dialogue if you're in like an early draft or you're writing an outline, but or, or, or a later draft and you kind of figure some things out. But um, if you don't have a good handle on your character, I don't think I, I think the dialogue can kind of all sound the same. If certain, yes. you're kind of like oh, this is sort of what this person's like and sort of what this person's like. So yeah, I mean that kind of goes without saying, but maybe not. It's true, and I think like a way to sort of check yourself on that is can you just find and replace your dialogue to another character? Mm, yeah. And if you can, that's a problem. You should be able to have someone read a whole scene without character names yeah. and then know exactly who that character is. And I will say sometimes, I, I will say like 90% of the time I can do that, but there are some characters who... They just sounds they just they sound similar and you, mm -hmm. you can't you can't you can't like over person like give them too much personality because that's not just not who they are yeah. and so sometimes they um, sound sort of basic in a way yeah. and that's just who they are yeah but ninety percent of the time your character should all sound unique at the very least unchangeable yeah I agree and one of the ways. To do that is parentheticals. Oh. And I would like to talk about what kinds of parentheticals you use, Joshua. Oh, I've been getting <laughs> crazy lately. I have been too. I was like, for this thing, I, I went through a script that I just wrote and I was like, I'm going to just take some parentheticals and I'm sure it's, you know, the standard ones. And I'm like, oh, they're not the standard ones. I really lean into parentheticals. And I think it's partly because of what we're talking about of characters having nuance and saying one thing, but thinking another thing that you kind of need. 
instead of using action description to clog up the works of a screenplay and make it feel like a laborious read, you can yeah. cheat and use parentheticals. And I would definitely not say use parentheticals for every line. No. <laughs> it should be used very sparingly, but use them. So parentheticals, just like as a definition, they're at the top of a line of dialogue for a character. You will put in these parentheses that have a short descriptor to the reader or eventually the actor and director how about how the line is said if it's not obvious from the way it's written. So if it's already obvious from the way it's written, get rid of that parenthetical. You absolutely don't need it. But for example, if you want someone chewing over the line, mm. like Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven is always eating. So Brad Pitt eating a Pop-Tart in parentheses says, I love you <laughs> while eating a Pop-Tart. Uh, if that's key to his character or... If that's key to that moment, like eating a Pop-Tart over saying I love you, is kind of funny. If that's the moment you want, like parenthetical, make sure everyone knows he's eating a Pop-Tart in that moment. So yeah, Josh, what other parentheticals do you use? So I've been getting a little crazy with this because I think a lot of standard parentheticals are beat, you know. Uh, hi, what's what's your name? Beat, so whatever. You know, it's like, the it's a very basic thing. I've been getting a little crazy in the sense where, you know, let's say my character is a father speaking to his daughter and the father's like, you know, I, I really want to go with you tonight because I haven't seen you in for forever. And then I'll do like a parenthetical, but then dot, dot, dot. And like, it's almost like a complete mind shift where mm -hmm. um, I'll use parentheticals in that regard to be like, but then wait a minute you were out with Brad last night or whatever. You know, there's mm -hmm. something, I, I guess my point- There's a shift in, in their thinking. Yeah. Yes. My point being is I feel like you can get a little bit more creative with parentheticals then. And it almost, in my perfect world, it keeps with the flow of the dialogue. Yeah. So you're kind of reading it and it's like, you're like in a wave that's kind of just bobbing through the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely read parentheticals where you're like, why is that there? That's not a natural pause in that person's way of speaking or it's not changing the yeah. subject in the middle of this person's monologue. Why is it there? It just feels like it's there because the person knew that parentheticals were a thing. Yeah. So yeah, it should flow. When you hear your character speaking in your head, do you hear a natural pause somewhere? Because also if you have, let's say my character has a monologue and there's a lot of beats or pauses or long pauses in their monologue, that could be a way that they speak is just like really long pauses. And mm -hmm. that's a, just a distinctive way of how they speak. So that's interesting. Um, right. But yes, like the, some of the standards are beat, then, pause, right. long pause, soto, which means S-O-T-T-O, which means quietly. Yeah. Um, aside to someone, which tends to indicate it's just to that one person instead of the other people in the scene. So the other people in the scene can't hear them. I use overlaps a lot, which means the person is speaking over the other person. Sarcastic is a big one because sarcasm tends to not read yeah. uh, very clearly in a script. Um, jokes I'll put as well, because sometimes jokes don't read well. If someone yeah. is laughing on the line, I'll put laughs. Nods. Nods is good because if you ask me a question, hey, did you like that movie? And then I nod at the top of it and then just go into why I liked the movie. It saves me from having to say, yes, Josh, I did like that movie. And here's why I liked it. I just go right into 
the description because Nods yeah. takes care of that yes for me. I will say, like just using your example of, Josh, did you like that movie? Given, you know, the script, I will put like parenthetical, like lies. Yeah, the movie was great. Yeah. And I feel like that can get away with just description. You know, you don't totally. have to like, uh, Josh thinks about it considers how to tell Tasha that he didn't see the movie or right. something, you know, some, yes, exactly. Terrible, terrible. Example. No, that's exactly. I've, I feel like I've literally read that example. Yeah. Just put lies, get, get it over with real quick. Um, their, their parentheticals are so handy. I've also used like small actions. So if it's like mm-hmm. nudging Josh, like, Hey, tell them what you really thought. And I want to, I want to nudge because yeah. They may not nudge in the movie. That may not be an action that actually t- makes it into the final cut. But what it does for the read is it tells you kind of how that moment is read. Where like mm-hmm. I'm encouraging Josh privately aside to like, hey, buddy, like tell them what you thought. Shrugs is a good one because shrugs also indicates like, I don't know. But you don't yeah. have to say, I don't know. You can just say the line. What do you think of that movie? Shrugs is okay. Theater sucked. Theater sucked. Theater sucked. That's better. I've used things like spits food. So again, that's kind of a small action. I use sigh a lot. Sighs. Big fan of the Before they say something. Um, A fun one I used recently was psh. (laughs) Which like, like, how do I explain it? So like, if someone, the character was saying like, are you kidding? Of course I know how to do that. But I didn't want them to say like, Psh, are you kidding? Of course I know how to do that. But I yeah. wanted that attitude on the line. So I put Psh in parentheses. And yeah. then the read is like, of course I can do that thing. Yeah. I love that. There, There's a way to, it's like hijacking the dialogue into the emotion at the same time. Psh. I, I, or, ugh, like U-G-H. Yeah. I've seen people in parenthetical, like, ugh, I have to wake up now? Or it, whereas yes, it can actually great. be in the dialogue. Yeah. Anyway, there's ways to, there's ways to make it uh, enhance your dialogue. Yeah. I, I love parentheticals. Yeah, we just, we, we just spend like 10 minutes listening <laughs> <laughs> parentheticals. <laughs> I do too. I do too. They're fun. Uh, they just really help, help the dialogue feel personal and energetic and real because people are moving and again saying things that they don't mean or being cagey and um, dialogues can help guide everyone to that it's very important because if you're writing a spec you you know and this is this is your thing like the idea is you just want people to read it and turn the page and you want people to be engaged with it so you know, if you're getting paid for something and you're turning in an assignment, there's other liberties that you have. But I feel like when you want people to just be completely engaged with your spec, dialogue is so fucking important and, mm-hmm. and being and concise and be and having people engaged with everything that's going on on a page. Yeah. This, this is why it's really important and, and where parentheticals <sighs> come into play and everything. Yeah. I mean, one of the sad truths is that a lot of people who are reading your scripts are probably just gonna read dialogue they may read your like your first few pages um and all your action description but if they're in a hurry they're just gonna skip to dialogue and see if the dialogue is engaging and that by the way is a really interesting exercise for you to do to test your dialogue is get rid of all of the action description and just see if you can get a sense of the scene 
Yeah. And if you can't, if you, and I, what I mean by a sense of the scene is not necessarily like they're in a dark cave, though that might be part of it. It's like, hey, turn your light on or whatever indicates the space. But a sense of the scene is what is the emotional arc with the characters? What are they, what are they talking about that's pushing the story and the characters forward in this scene? And every scene should have that. So how is your scene giving us a sense of place and a sense of forward movement and the engine of your story without any action description? Man, that's such a great exercise. I feel like I want to do that. Maybe that would solve my problem with the movie I'm writing right now, oh, Josh. God. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. You're, you're, like, you're going to do it right now. It's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time. Yeah. No, but I'm, I'm struggling right now with my own script with making sure the character is arcing from scene to scene and there's cause and effect from scene to scene. And I wonder if I got rid of all the action description, if that would help. Ooh. That, that's a good exercise. I might do yeah. the same thing, actually, for something I'm working on. Yeah. There we go. We just helped each other, which is the point of this podcast. Point of this freaking podcast. <laughs> all right. That's all I have to talk about today with dialogue. Oh, we've got much more, but we'll do it on a different episode. Yeah, there's so much more. All right. Quote of the day. Quote of the day. A film is, or should be, more like music than fiction. It should be a progression of moods and feelings, the theme, what's beyond the emotion, the meaning. All that comes later. Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> I love it. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I'm Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm -hmm.